0: Welcome to the Leadership Now podcast with Dr. Aaron Rock. Aaron has served as a pastor, chaplain, professor, writer, and speaker, and he has a keen interest in helping other Christians to think Christianly about all of life. On this show, we talk about the nuts and bolts of theology, church life, cultural issues, pastoral leadership, ethics, and other relevant matters that will help you to lead better now. I'm your host, Chris Eelman, and today's title is Can a Christian Become a Non Christian? So, one of the most sustained questions Christians debate and worry about is this Can a Christian become a non Christian? Or, said another way, Can a Christian forfeit their salvation? Not only are there varied responses to this theologically, but it can really trouble people's souls or be used as an excuse and justification of sin. So in this episode, we're going to discuss what the Bible says about this matter. So Aaron, the question of the day, can a Christian become a non-Christian?
1: Yeah. So I'm going to answer yes and no to that question, and then I'm going to explain it because that answer is probably going to freak a lot of people out. (laughs) But yes and no. So if, if by Christian, you mean a person who identifies with the visible church, a person who attends worship service, a person who reads the Bible, a person who participates in the sacraments, a person who adopts the Christian lifestyle but isn't actually regenerated, yeah, that kind of person can become a non-Christian. And we, we've seen that time and time again through human history. Judas was a disciple of Christ but showed at the end that he was not a true believer. And we can tell story after story of people, even in our own church over the years, have abandoned the visible church, who now follow different ideologies or different religions or declare themselves to be non-religious, which, by the way, is impossible, but that's their declaration. So if if we just kind of look out of a landscape of people that declare themselves to be Christians, we're like, well, I know of this person and this person and this person that used to be Christians and they're not, so therefore, yeah, a person can forfeit their salvation, well— yeah, visibly, in the visible church, that's true. But if by Christian you mean a person who in the eternal decrees of God is one of his elect and who in space and time has been justified by grace through faith by the precious blood of the eternal Lamb of God, then absolutely not. There has never been a single individual in all of human history who's been justified by and then unjustified. And so it's important for us to think deeply about these issues, but also simply about these issues. And too often, people base their theology upon their experiences. They say, well, I saw someone that used to be a Christian, and they're not now. So clearly, a person can forfeit their salvation or lose their salvation. How do you know they're saved? How do you know they were truly justified? Well, because they professed it. That's not enough. That's actually not the means of defining what a Christian is, simply by looking at their profession. There's other aspects that we need to, to unpack. So having said that, we obviously need to help people think about why I've answered the question that way.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, and I think we're gonna to need to speak to the theology behind your claim and unpack Absolutely. that. But yeah. maybe can you speak to the personal dimension first about this question, the pastoral concern, why is it such a perplexing issue?
1: Well, the, the way I see it, there's four kinds of people that are interacting with this question for different personal reasons. You could frame it up that way as to why people are interacting with this question. First of all, there's there's many people that are asking this question because they're genuinely seeking confidence or assurance of their salvation. They want to know, like, am I, am I going to heaven? Am I truly a son or daughter of the King of Kings? They want to know because they, they want to overcome doubt and they want to grow in their faith. And we have many people like that who come to our who have come to our church over the years that simply are asking the question, not because they they have a, a necessarily a sophisticated theological background, but they they want to know like, am I genuinely saved? And I remember when I was very young, even after my conversion, there was a few years where I would I would think a lot about that. Like, am I am I the real deal? Am I actually saved? I wanted the assurance of my salvation and then there's the kind of person that's thinking about this question because they want they, they they essentially want assurance or they want to feel secure while participating in unconfessed sin. They want to use it as their get out of jail free card. So they say, "Well, yeah, I'm not I'm not saved by my works, but and I know I'm living in sin, but you know God is gracious and his his gift is irrevocable, so they use it as an excuse. They actually abuse God's grace, and we're going to speak uh, to that as well. They, they essentially want to uh, hold on to their sin and hold to an assurance doctrine in order to justify it or let themselves off the hook. And then there are those that are genuinely committed to righteousness. They, they, they're seeking to conform their lives to the patterns of Jesus Christ, And they're upset because they look around at people who are professing Christians that are living in unconfessed sin and don't seem to care about it. And they they see in that an abuse of the gospel. And they don't like that. So they're like, you, you, you know, they're they're rightly saying, look, you cannot profess to be a Christian and live in ongoing, unconfessed, habitual sin and care less about it. So there's there's that crowd that often I would say, develop their theology out of a desire to guard righteousness and Christ-like living. And then there there are those that are simply trying to reconcile in their own mind. How how does the all-sufficient sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ and his justifying grace, how does that mesh with biblical calls to perform good works how, genuinely how how does faith and good works go together because it's not like good works are the catholic thing and faith is the right. the protestant thing we have but but the fact of the matter is the, the the catholic church and others like it and uh true protestant churches have a different we're not anti good works but we have a different view of w- where it is placed within uh our Christian experience. So mm-hmm. in the Catholic church you're justified if you read the catechism you're justified for example through your baptism. And that is affirmed through various sacramental acts, good deeds essentially, whereas in the Christian perspective, good deeds are I believe a necessary and inevitable outflow of a truly transformed life.
0: Mm-hmm. So those
1: are those that's the pastoral side. Mm-hmm. Those are the very personal questions. Most people within a earshot of this podcast, have probably thought about those, yeah. one or more of those very personal concerns in relationship to this question. Yeah. But there's also a theological aspect to it as well.
0: Right. So if you were to break down then the, the major theological positions, the different camps when they address this question, can a Christian become a non-Christian? Okay. What would those be?
1: So we've addressed four personal views. I want to address five theological camps. The first one is, there are obviously those in the visible church, the, the people that would declare themselves to be Christians in various denominations around the world, who teach that your good works actually justify you. And that's just flat out falsehood. That is that is heresy, actually. That's damnable heresy. That's an offense to the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. But we're identifying it because we have to think about the place of good works in our salvation, and it is not, it's not appropriate, it's not biblical to teach that Good works are what justify you, but there are those that would believe that, and therefore they would conclude that a person could forfeit their salvation if you cease doing good works. So they, they believe good works are the, the way in to fellowship with God and a necessary aspect of retaining it. Then the second camp would be those that teach that, no, it's grace that justifies. Grace through faith alone justifies but they believe you could forfeit your justification, your standing with God through apostasy or sin. So you can be justified literally in the decrees of God, in the mind of God, justified, and then no longer justified because you become an apostate. You abandon the Christian faith or you sin. We will address this further. Mm-hmm. Third, there are those that teach that you're secure your security or your assurance is strictly based upon your belief system. If you believe the right thing, if you believe the substance of the gospel, that your belief, your assent, if you will, your notitia, your knowledge of, your assent to the substance of your doctrine, that actually justifies and secures you, and you don't need to really think about the a matter of good works, regardless of your good works. So they don't even really have a place, a necessary place. Keep that word in mind, necessary. They don't have a necessary place for good works in our salvation experience. Fourth, there are those that really don't care about discussions surrounding security or assurance and that because they don't see uh, it has really having as it having anything to do with um, correct beliefs or faith. They see your security being tied, let's say, to your covenantal relationship, your covenantal family, or your your um, ba- uh, maybe your paedobaptist experience or even believer's baptism experience. So it's like, well, you're part of the covenant community. That's all that matters. They have, they have more of a communal covenantal view they don't necessarily concern themselves with uh discussions about individual assurance that does, mm-hmm. that's not to say that covenantal people all, all believe that but there would be those that they don't concern themselves it's just not even part of their thinking it's almost like if you're in a a highly christianized culture mm-hmm. where it's a moot point it's like my parents are christians i'm a christian i believe why are we even having this conversation right and then there would be our view, which is the correct biblical view. <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> and um, to summarize it, I'll unpack it a little bit more. But our view would be that we are justified by grace through faith alone mm-hmm. in the Lord Jesus Christ. And you can listen to the previous four podcasts to help you unpack all the nuances of that. But that righteousness is a necessary and inevitable byproduct and even proof or you could say evidence that you're saved. So it's not a means of salvation, good works is not a means of salvation, but it is it's not an optional evidence, it's a necessary evidence, it's part of the proofing of your salvation. So correct belief is wedded to in terms of an evidence the affirmation by God's people as you bear spiritual fruit. It's it, these are there's a, so there's a necessary place for good works in our Christian experience of salvation. We're not saying that good works are necessary as a means of justification mm-hmm. or somehow retaining it, but it's a necessary evidence of it. So there's a difference between saying good works are necessary to retain justification. I'm not saying that. But good works are necessary to evidence Mm -hmm. Uh, salvation, and a true Christian, a true Christian will persevere in good deeds, not to say they're going to be perfect, but they will persevere in good deeds till the end, and we can be assured of that. So now I I know uh, many churches would teach a more, um, well, for instance, the church I grew up in, one of the churches I grew up in, we moved around a little bit, Would emphasize once saved always saved once saved always saved. There there was no nuance. Once saved always saved. Once saved always saved. And the the idea was that as long as you believe the right thing, you have the full assurance of salvation. So people would maybe fornicate or abandon the faith. But yeah, but I remember. I remember when they they believe, so Mm -hmm. they have assurance. I I even have family members that were poisoned by that that theological belief. That like literally they abandoned the, the the practice of Christianity. But you know what? 30, 40 years ago, I um I prayed the prayer Mm -hmm. and once saved, always saved. That's not true. That's not a proper understanding of this. Belief in and of itself is not sufficient for assurance. The Bible teaches us the devil believes. The devil knows the truth. There are Christian scholars that assent to the content of the Christian faith that are regenerate individuals. Yeah. No, even yeah, well, non-Christian scholars, even even scholars, that would say that were they're Christian, right? In 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 the sense that that's the religion they identify with, they assent to the content of the Christian faith, but they're not regenerate necessarily. So belief, uh, if if you're if you almost have this notion that your salvation is bestowed upon you because you get your mental processes right, to say it that way, because you have the right knowledge in your mind, that's that's salvation. It's just. I got the right knowledge in my mind, so therefore I'm saved. Well, that's dangerous. You have to have knowledge. You have to have knowledge of. You know, faith cometh by hearing, so you have to have knowledge of the gospel. But I'll 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 point you to for for example to um, uh, Ephesians chapter two verses eight and nine, and uh, this would be um, a text that would often be referred to um, by those that influenced me growing up and it's in the Bible. So we affirm it. It says, um, by grace, you've been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing, which is a works word. It's a gift of God. And then he says it again in the negative, not a result result of works. So you've been saved. Your salvation is by grace alone through faith alone in Christ alone. That's true. It's not from ourselves. But when we're talking about assurance, we're talking about, see when you're you're saved, you don't get like a tattoo that suddenly appears in your arm. How do you know you're saved? Well, you obviously have to assent to the facts of the gospel, but you also need to put your faith in them. You need to rest in them. And God having justified you and regenerated you by his grace regenerates you in order that you might live a Christ-like life, or at least be moving in that direction. Mm-hmm. So if you just think that your salvation stops, at your justification and sanctification, which is the fancy word for growth and righteousness, isn't even necessary, it's sort of like an optional thing, you, you don't understand the full gospel. So we're not saved by works. Uh, it has nothing to do with, uh, works have nothing to do with our justification, but there is a place for works and you know as i was sort of under taught growing up it has nothing to do with it you're just secure because god did something to you but I, but that's not a sufficient understanding of how all these parts fit together
0: mm-hmm. okay so i think it would be really helpful to help to define some terms maybe to speak about the language because that's often part of the reason there's not clarity people use terms without defining them or differently. Yeah. Um, So maybe run through that. So our our keen
1: listeners will notice that in the last five podcasts, including this one, I've avoided some conventional language that would often be used to discuss these biblical topics. And the reason why I've done that is to help people think in a fresh way about it, but also because I acknowledge that many of the conventional terms, even if they're great terms, are loaded. People have a preconceived notion mm-hmm. of what we're talking about. So this podcast is is called, Can a Christian Become a Non-Christian? I could have said, Can a Christian Lose Your Salvation? Mm-hmm. And now that you're into it and you're hooked, I'll, I'll, I'll <laughs> spill the beans. Yeah. Like that, that's Cancel what we're talking about, yeah. right? In part, that's what we're talking about. But our listeners will have a certain preconceived, loaded up, predefined view of what that question even is. And it can be hard for them to hear past it if they have a preconceived notion. So for example, I have many Anabaptist friends who in talking with them said, you know, I'm repulsed by, uh, some of them would even see it as a heresy or used to see it as a heresy because what they've been taught is that the once saved, always saved crowd believes that you can live however you want once you've been justified. Mm -hmm. So that's why I say they've, even to ask that question, they already have a preconceived notion of what, what your view is. And then on the other hand, the one there's the one saved, always saved crowd that I associated with a lot growing up that basically had the idea, as long as you believe the right thing, it's not appropriate to sin, but it really has nothing to do with your quote-unquote security. Mm-hmm. And and I don't accept that. I don't accept that. I, I think that's a, that's a false understanding. Both of those views, I think, are a false understanding of the scriptures. Mm. So When we talk about terms, one term I don't use is the term eternal security. Now, because I've inherited that term and it's been used ad infinitum, and it continues to be used nonstop, people just don't seem to want to drop it, um, sometimes you're stuck with it. But it's not really a good term in my view. I prefer to speak of so talking about defining languages and terms the problem with using the word security is that the word implies that you're free from every, any threat or loss. You're, you're free from every threat or loss. The way that's often used is that means I'm free from, fr- from any possible like ultimate obligation to conform my life to the patterns and behaviors of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm, I'm essentially free from good works. And it's a sad thing when many Christians, supposed Christians that are part of the visible church who profess faith. I remember, I've shared this story before, I'll never forget many years ago, going back 20 years, being in a meeting where a woman who'd been a professing Christian for many years was involved in an adulterous relationship and was mm-hmm. refusing to end it. And when the elders confronted her on this issue, she, she literally said, Once saved, always saved. Wow! I'm another. I will continue in it because my salvation is not at risk. That was Mm -hmm. her mindset, and I thought, what an absolute abuse of God's grace, and what an absolute lie she has Mm -hmm. believed about the nature of salvation. Mm -hmm. And of course, I haven't followed her, but I've heard about her. She's a she's a complete non-Christian today. She doesn't you know confess. followership in the Lord Jesus Christ. So it might seem like subtle, like who cares what word we use, but I think when people are asking about security, um, there's a better word, but before I give that word, when people are asking about security, I I don't think what they're necessarily asking about on the at the beginning of the question is, like, am I secure in the mind of God? Because if we, if we want to talk about security in the mind of God, I would say absolutely, absolutely, those that are have been redeemed by the decrees and work and grace of God are absolutely secure. Mm-hmm. There's no question about that. Yeah. So if we could kind of visualize like a line above our head, that and above that line represented everything God knows, all of God's knowledge, which of course is infinite, in that realm of knowledge, does God know who is, quote-unquote, secure? 100 percent. God knows who's secure. But below the line is our world. Mm-hmm. And in this world, God has given us revelation, not complete revel. He's given us sufficient revelation, but not complete revelation. Like we don't know everything there is to know about God or his plans. Mm-hmm. And so we know in the mind of God, because we're justified by grace alone, that the saints are secure. But that's, I don't think that's what we're talking about necessarily. We're talking about how can I know? People are asking like, am I free? And how can I know that I'm free from the potential threat or loss of my salvation? In other words, they're asking, how can I know if I'm free? They're really asking not so much of a question about standing status position with God, which is what security seeks to answer. We'll just answer that straight up. Of course, you're secure in the, mm. in the mind of God. But really what they're wanting to know is about assurance. How can I know? So we know what God knows. So let me put it this way. In the the mind of God, the true believer is 100% secure. But down here in this world, we should concern ourselves less with that and more with assurance, assurance. And assurance is actually the word that appears frequently in Scripture in reference to this discussion so it appears in uh, you know Hebrews chapter 6 um verse 1 it appears in Hebrews chapter uh, 10 verse 22 you can you know write down some of these references and and, and look at them yourself it um appears in Hebrews chapter uh, 11 ver- verse 1 so in Hebrews chapter uh I'll read the first one, Hebrews chapter 6, verse 11, it says, and we desire each of you to show the same earnestness to have full assurance, that's a biblical word, of hope until the end. So we, we want to be assured, and there's a reason for that. It goes on to say, so that you might not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. The Bible refers to, it offers assurance, we could say, to those who are seeking it, and that should be our concern. So it might sound like I'm splitting hairs, but i it seems to me we should be less concerned below the line with our security and more concerned with our assurance, while at the same time maintaining that above the line we are secure, those that are truly justified, are secure in, in the mind of God. Now, if you go to John's Gospel, or not John's Gospel, 1 John, his epistle, mm-hmm. The love, the love epistle. There's, there's lots of references there to uh, assurance, and assurance is, is um, uh, referred to by the word know. So he talks about this is how you, how you can know, this is how you can be sure, this is how you can uh, have confidence. And let me just let me just thumb through some uh, some passages quickly in in First John because they're they're quite they're quite encouraging. So First John. Uh, chapter two, verse three. And by this, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. So right there, part of our knowing, part of our assurance is based upon the keeping of his commandments. This is not to say that the keeping of his commandments is the means to justification, nor is it the means to somehow being tossed out of the kingdom of God. Of quote unquote losing your justification, but the means of knowing it is through good deeds, through keeping His commandments. In First uh, John uh, chapter two, verse uh, let me see here twenty eight, and now little children abide in Him, so that when He appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from Him in shame at His coming. Again, that's a the the writer is clearly concerned with life in the here and now. And that, that internal testimony that one is truly a, a child of God. And then we have First John chapter 3 uh, verse uh, 14. We know that we have passed out of death into life, because we love the brothers right there. That's a good work. It doesn't say, well, we know we've, we know we've passed out of death into life because we loved the brothers. God looked at us and said, Boy, you're really loving. I'm going to justify you. That's not what the Bible says. But we we, we um because we love the brothers, present tense, post-justification, pre-glorification, we our our assurance uh increases. I just love these verses. I'm gonna give you a few more. Okay, good. Um, first John chapter. Uh, Four verse seventeen. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. First uh, John chapter five verse two. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey His commandments. First John chapter uh, five verse. 13. I write these things to you who believe, listen to this, who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. Think about that for a moment. He's writing to those that believe in the name, but he doesn't say, and by the way, the fact that you believe in the name is the, the only thing we need to concern ourselves with. As long as you believe the right thing, as long as you was sent to the right creeds or doctrine, you're good to go. Belief is important. It's in God's plan. We're saved by grace through faith in Christ. But he's writing these practical admonitions that you might know you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us and whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked um, of him. And then let me give you just one more. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning. This is 518. How can it be clearer than that? Anyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who is born of God protects him and the evil one does not touch him. Mm-hmm. So how do how do we reconcile this? Well, security is an, is an attempt, I believe, to describe the biblical concept of assurance, but what it's actually concerning itself with is the above-the-line stuff. And theologically we we should concern ourselves with security and we could use the word security if we're referring to above the line stuff but if we're referring to below the line stuff what we know we should concern ourselves with assurance otherwise we slightly shift the conversation away from from a question that is innately personal can i know that i'm saved to a question that is more about what god knows and what we're seeking to know mm-hmm. so uh, this might sound, uh, you know, if I, if I sat in front of you for an hour and drew charts and pictures, it might make more sense. But the bottom line is when it comes to terminology, we should concern ourselves with assurance or confidence. And there is a place for good works in that mix mm-hmm. that does not in any way, shape, or form violate reformational doctrines or biblical doctrines by placing good works in a position that somehow
0: aids in or attributes to our justification. Mm -hmm. So can you help us see why eternal assurance, I'm trying to make sure I use the right words and I don't slip up, why eternal assurance makes sense in the broader, I guess, scope of scripture? Yeah,
1: I'm going to start off with two premises and if you disagree with these premises, you might as well stop listening to the podcast because these are my premises. So my first premise is God knows everything. God is omniscient. God knows everything. So if we're going to ask the question, well, does, does God know who those are that are truly part of his invisible church? Does God, does, is God able to look through our church and say, I know who the authentic born-again blood bought believers are? Of course he does. Mm-hmm. Of course he does. There's no ambiguity in that. And if if God is not omniscient, if God is uh if God is unaware or unsure about who the truly redeemed are, then God is, is not omniscient, but he is omniscient. So, so God ultimately knows whether you and me are true bona fide sons of the, the living God. Premise number two, and I would die for this. Salvation is a gift. It's unearned. Mm-hmm. Ephesians 2.9. It's a gift. And it's false to teach that you can earn it. It's absolutely false. It's false doctrine to teach that you can earn it. Jesus said... In Luke 10, I'm reading from verses 28 to 30, I I give them eternal life and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. That's perseverance. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Like how much more explicit could God be? So therefore, In the mind of God, in the decrees of God, in the plan of God, it must be true that the truly saved, if you want to use that word, the truly justified, the truly saved are truly secured by God, and that those that are truly secured can never be snatched away. So we know that. In the mind of God, the truly saved, the truly regenerate can never be snatched away. However, this still does not address the very personal question. How can I know if I am among them? How can I know Mm -hmm. if I'm among them? Because you don't know the mind of God. So how can I know that I'm among them? After all, we do not have full access to the mind and knowledge of God. The Bible actually warns, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, John 7, 21. So not everyone that professes, Mm -hmm. not everyone that is part of what you could call The visible church Mm -hmm. is necessarily going to enter the kingdom of God. And again, think Judas. Think of Charles Templeton used to preach with Billy Graham and then walked from Christianity. Think of all the heretics and apostates throughout time that have walked from Mm -hmm. Christianity, who once preached the gospel. We've had high-ranking leaders in our own church that no longer, not only did they not walk with Christ, they're not even Christians. Mm -hmm. So... God says, on one hand, Jesus says, I give them eternal life. They'll never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father's given to them, them to me. No one is able to snatch them out of my hand. But at the same time, Jesus tells us, not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of God. So how do we reconcile these things? So here's some biblical principles and passages. So many scriptures bring uh, clarity to this, but... I would, I would really commend people go back to to 1 John, because 1 John, a little five-chapter epistle, deals extensively with the theological question of eternal assurance, and it also offers pastoral direction. So it, it accomplishes both. It checks the, the theology box, and it checks the, the personal pastoral box. And I want to make some claims. I'll give you some references. I've read several of them already. I will repeat myself a little bit. I don't, I'm not a ashamed of that. Good teachers repeat themselves <laughs> mm-hmm. to help people remember. And here's what the Bible teaches. I'm going to give five um, premises or five theological claims, I guess you could call them out of 1 John. Here's the first one. Eternal assurance requires correct belief in the person and work of Jesus. So let's say it's like, I want, I want assurance. I know that God will never snatch uh, no one will snatch the elected of God's hand. But I want to know about my own assurance. So statement number one, you have to be believing in the right gospel, right? First John 2, 22 to 24. First John 4, 2 to 3. First John 5, 20. Meaning then that anyone who does not accept the deity of Christ is not a Christian. Mm-hmm. Anyone that does not accept the incarnation, the full humanity of Christ, not a Christian. Anybody that does not accept the messiahship of Jesus is a liar, This is taught in the book, and has no assurance of salvation. So while correct belief is is not all we need for assurance, we have to have correct belief to get to assurance. Mm -hmm. So you can't just believe whatever gospel you want, kids. Well, I'm a Christian too. I absolutely know I'm a Christian. Oh, do you believe in the full deity and full humanity of Christ? Well, no, I don't really believe in that. Then you're not a Christian. I remember a friend of mine debating a guy that was claiming to be a Christian and he he asked him, do you believe that Jesus Christ is the eternal son of God? He asked him about the deity of Christ. I don't believe that. Then he said out loud, you're not a Christian. The guy flipped out, but you're not. Mm -hmm. So we, we don't need to be ashamed to say to someone, if you don't affirm the full deity and humanity of the Lord Jesus Christ, you may not fully understand all the implications of that if you're untaught, but if you don't if you deny that, you're not a Christian. Yeah. It, like Jesus isn't whoever you want him to be. You can't make Jesus in your own image. It has to be the, the the Jesus of the Scripture and His finished work. So, if you want assurance, you have to have correct belief in the person and
0: work of the Lord Jesus Christ. But remember, that's only point one of five points. One quick comment: uh, You would say, uh, I think you maybe pointed out the correct belief, but you might not necessarily understand it all. Because some, I could imagine are hearing this and they're like, I don't know all there is to know about theology. Like, am I a Christian? And it would be with some of these things, it's like you have correct belief. As long as you don't deny certain things, you don't have to necessarily understand the complexities of it. Is that true or no?
1: Yes. But I mean, there can't, you can't just be ignorant to either. So right. if, you, if you declare that Jesus Christ is the eternal son of God... Well, you may not fully understand. That's actually an explicit reference to his deity. Mm-hmm. But to deny that he's the eternal son of God I mean, it is, is to put you outside of of saving grace. So mm-hmm. you, you have to affirm it, even though you may not have a fully orbed uh, view of it. And I'm not getting into discussions about what about those that maybe have intellectual impairments and this sort of thing? Right, God, is, God yeah. those kind of exceptions or whatever you want to call them, I just leave those to God. I'm 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 fine with mystery in that regard. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. But I, but the point I want to drive home for the for the majority of people here that would this would be quite meaningful to them is that you you have to subscribe to the gospel of Jesus Christ in order to have assurance of salvation. Yep. Now, let me just add a little nuance to this. God by his grace reveals that to us. So God by his grace enables belief. We've dealt with that in previous podcasts. And he he helps us to understand it sufficiently mm-hmm. for our salvation, sufficiently for our salvation. So we're, we're not, it's not just self-concocted belief, but I want, I want people to, I want people to be able to say to a friend that says, oh, I'm a Christian, but I don't believe in the deity of Christ. I want them to be able to with confidence yep. say, You're not a Christian. If you've denied that, or we could say, most kindest ways God has not yet revealed that to you, you're not a Christian. I don't want you to think you have assurance if you're right. living in denial of the gospel. Yeah. Secondly, a ter- eternal assurance is only available to those that love instead of hate. And we're not talking about absolutely, because there's gonna be times when we have hateful thoughts, we have sin. But if you look at those passages again, uh, chapter 2, verse 9, chapter three, verse 10, chapter 3, verse 14, chapter 3, verse 17, chapter 4, verse 20. It's very clear that love is one of the key characteristics of a bona fide believer. And I'll, I'll reference uh, one in First John chapter 4 verse 20. Mm-hmm. If anyone says, "I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he does not love his brother whom he, uh, let me reread that. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. So verse uh, 21 says, and this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. So that's, a it's it's categorical. Mm -hmm. Oh, that mean if I'm really loving, I can get saved? No, listen clearly. It's not saying that. But the true believer will love, not hate. It's necessary. So if we, if we don't display love, especially for fellow believers, by the way, we prove, this is a lack of evidence, we prove that we are not children of God. When we receive love from God, we must also and will love others. And we don't need to overly qualify that. That's just basic mm-hmm. scripture. Yep. Uh, third... Eternal assurance is only possible if we walk in the light or keep his commandments. I'm not saying your security with God is contingent upon these things, but your personal assurance is only possible if we walk in the light or keep his commandments. The epistle teaches that very clearly as well. First chapter, 6th and 7th verse, chapter 2, verse 3, chapter 2, verse 6, chapter 2, verse 9, chapter Uh, 5 verse 2. It says, by this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. So I've read that before. I've read that again. So does that mean that we can experience absolute sanctification the side of heaven? I don't think so. Some Wesleyans taught that. I don't think so. Disobedience is going to happen. Slip-ups are going to happen. There's going to be blind spots in our lives but a person who walks in the realm of darkness, who lives in, who lives like an unbeliever. Minimally, their assurance is in the toilet. Mm-hmm. Their assurance is in the toilet, hopefully just for a period of time. There's, they backslide for a period of time. If that's characteristic of your life, it's not, that's not about being judgmental. I would say, dude, you're not a believer. You're not a brother. Mm-hmm. So I, I meet a guy, thinking of a guy I know quite well, crosses the theological T's, dots the I's, but he blasphemes. He, he's committed adultery. There's no interest in spiritual fruit. He actually pulls people away from the Christian faith, speaks, but still claims that he's justified. I don't know if we're going to be shocked about anything in heaven, but if I was capable of being shocked, I would be shocked beyond belief to see him in heaven. Mm-hmm. I don't reckon him to be a believer. Um. The word "reckon" is important, by the way. Ultimately, I can't judge, but I can reckon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> and um, Re- let's recognize, right? Like, yeah, I would not recognize. Yeah. Yep. So, um, having said that, then the fourth thing is is that uh, eternal assurance uh, is available when we admit our sins. So we admit our sins. So it doesn't mean that we are we have to be sinless. Mm-hmm. One way that some preachers have put it is: we're not sinless, but we should be sinning less. Yep. Uh, which is maybe memorable, more memorable than some of the other stuff I've said. But um, eternal assurance is is only available to Christians when they admit their sin, and it says in First John one uh, eight, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. So one of the marks of a true, bona fide, regenerate believer is admitting our sin. You might say, well, how does that go with these grandiose calls to love and to obey because we're talking about the generalities of the Christian life? In general, I should be able to say, Chris, do I mess up sometimes? Yeah, it's, I'm ashamed to say it. But in general, I can say I am living for Christ. I'm obeying his commandments. Do I fail at times? Yeah, but it's not its not a besetting sin. It's not like my life is characterized by rebellion. There's, there's, there's times when I sin but it's not a characteristic of me anymore. Mm -hmm. I do sin less, even though I'm not sinless, even though I am sinless in the minds of God because God has justified me. So then of course we have the famous verse, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But then it says in verse 10, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So if you claim to be perfect, and I heard a false teacher, the leader of a sect, say that a while ago, or, or, or permit one of his followers to say it, that he doesn't sin. That's a false teacher. Mm-hmm. That's a, You're a liar. I know you, I mean, you just lied in making that claim. Mm-hmm. So we do sin, but we sin less, and we admit our sins. We must avoid sin, but claims to sinless perfection in this world is, is actually a slight on the work of the Savior who came to free sinners. Not the already sanctified, but sinners from their transgressions. Mm. And then this statement, and this is where people might feel a little uncomfortable, but I'm not afraid to make you feel uncomfortable because I believe this to be true. And that is that eternal eternal assurance is only available to Christians who believe in the correct gospel and who avoid habitual sin. That's an important word, habitual sin. So we have 1 John uh, 3, verse 6, 1 John 3, 8 to 9, 1 John 3, 10. In that passage, in those cluster of verses, uh, it's it's very clear that this is true. Let me read some of them for you. 1 John chapter 3, verse 6, no one who abides in him keeps on sinning. It doesn't say we don't sin, but we don't keep on. We don't habituate mm-hmm. sin mm-hmm. in our lives. It goes on to say no one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. That's pretty explicit. Mm-hmm. So hopefully this this puts to rest this notion that some would have that the, quote-unquote, once saved, always saved crowd. Now, there, there are some in it that do abuse that doctrine, but that implies that somehow you can just sin however you want. No, you mm-hmm. can't. Yeah, It's absolutely mm-hmm. impossible. And then verses 8 and 9, whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. That That's not a reference to some Christian that doesn't have their act together. That's like, you're in a completely different camp, dude. Mm-hmm. Whoever keeps on makes a practice—that's a habitual word—of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. So that's pretty explicit as well. And then in verse nine, no one is born of God. No one, uh, no one born of God makes a practice of sinning. That's also a habitual word. For God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he's been born of God. Really, really important for people to hear these. Verse 10, by this it is evident. Okay, so we're talking about evidence, right? This is why I've used the word proof or evidence. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. It doesn't say whoever doesn't practice righteousness can't be justified, this is speaking to the believing community, but it's warning them assuming you've trusted in the risen Christ, put your faith in him, repented of your sins. So assuming you're professing to be part of the believing community, you cannot continue in sin and still profess to be a child of God. So it's it's actually quite sad in my view that the people have bungled this doctrine so much and made it so confusing. Mm-hmm. Uh, hopefully John's language in these texts are very are abrupt enough and clear enough to bring clarity and stability to our lives. He refers to those who reject the teachings of Christ as liars, chapter 2, verse 4. He refers to them as, he refers to them as false prophets, chapter 4, verse 1. And he calls upon his audience not to be deceived, chapter 3, verse 7. So you actually are deceived, you are deceived if you believe that as long as you believe in the right thing, you can live how you want. Mm-hmm. And so you can say to someone, friend, you're continuing in habitual sin. Therefore, I'm reckoning you to be a liar. I'm reckoning you to be of the devil. I'm reckoning you to be a false prophet. Or if someone preaches those things, they're a false teacher. So there, there's there's no arguing these Conclusions, but at the same time, we must, 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 must affirm that justification is by grace alone through faith alone in Christ alone. So let let me kind of summarize Mm -hmm. it this way: We're saved, meaning we're justified by grace alone through faith alone in Jesus Christ. But that faith does not remain alone. We then are positioned and equipped to grow in righteousness, to grow in love, to grow in obedience to grow in our sanctification, and those are necessary and inevitable evidences of your salvation. And here's how it works. When you start with repenting of your sins and putting your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you have that sense that you've been released from the power of sin in your life. And then as you begin to live out your Christian life, and you see it increasing and becoming more and more like Jesus Christ. Your assurance grows and grows and grows and grows and grows. What you don't want to do, you don't want to make the mistake of thinking I got to perform for God in order to stay in his good books. No, you do it out of love. You love him. You do it because you've been changed by him. You do it because you are appreciative of his work in his life. But at the same time, you you don't fall off the other side of the road into the other ditch where people say, "Well, because I've been once saved, always saved, uh, I can live however I want. No, your assurance is in the toilet. So we can confidently say then that correct belief about Jesus Christ and his work is sufficient for our salvation, our justification, but a life that is conformed to the patterns and behaviors of Jesus Christ is necessary for our assurance to grow. You can be assured of that. We're talking love, we're talking obedience, we're talking admission of sin. We're talking avoiding habitual sins. These are all necessary proofs, proofs, evidences. It says that it might be evident. Those are evidences without which your assurance evaporates. So this is how we must think about these issues. And it actually brings, I think, a lot of clarity to it. Um, It helps us to to maintain a, a strong belief in God's sovereignty and salvation. It helps us to uh, maintain a strong belief in the omniscience of God, that God knows who His people truly are, and it helps us to see the necessary place of good works, which will flow from the life, which will be evident in the life of those that have been uh, saved by the Eternal Lamb. You know, I'll end here, thinking of the thief on the cross. He didn't have a lot of time. Yep. Uh, once, once he was declared to be freed from his sins on the cross, he didn't have a lot of time to show evidence but he showed some evidence right he showed some evidence by paying homage to the king so a person doesn't necessarily have to you know hopefully when you're born again you'll you'll have many decades ahead of you to live out the fullness of your christian faith some people might only have a couple hours a few minutes maybe there it's a deathbed conversion mm-hmm. but there always will necessarily be some change change of the mind change of the affections change of the heart These we should look for and we should affirm and we should applaud these in the Christian church to the
0: glory of God. Excellent. Well, thanks Aaron. I think that uh, concludes our little mini series here we've been doing. Uh, Christmas is around the corner and with Christmas, we like gifts and celebrating things. We have a gift coming soon, sort of a gift, a surprise, I guess you could say, or an announcement of sorts. So we've been hosted on many platforms and we're going to going to continue to be doing that but one exciting announcement is that we are going to be um, hosting content on a new platform called beachhead media and we're putting together the plans for that Uh, this podcast is now being recorded on video as well so i don't know when you'll be able to see that video exactly but we're putting things together to um, have some local canadian content gathered together on beachhead media and so that'll be in the next couple of months ideally before Christmas, but we'll see how things all uh, shape up. But um, that's your reward for sticking to the end of the episode today to hear that bonus. And uh, hopefully you didn't just scroll to the end and hear the last little bit. But we're really excited about that. So stay tuned for more information about that. Thank you, Aaron, for today's podcast. Reminder to like and subscribe uh, wherever you do get this podcast and to share it so that others are blessed as well. And we hope that you'll tune in next week to another episode of Leadership Now with Dr. Aaron Rock.